Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Hello everyone, and a very warm welcome to the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. Welcome to our wildcard episode. Uh, this is the one where we choose four episodes of series, completely at random. There's no uh, pattern to these. The first one that we're going to watch today is The Champions. Simon, which episode are we going for? We're going to watch The Night People, and the reason that I've chosen this is because this episode of The Champions is my very earliest memory of watching television. For those of you that don't know it, The Champions was a uh, mid-60s, sort of slightly science fiction-y spy drama from ITC. And the basic premise is that there is a trio of secret agents who work for um, the international agency called Nemesis. And in the first episode, they're in China, I think, and they're, they're on a mission in China, and their plane crashes in the Himalayas, and they're rescued by a group of mystics there who give them not supernatural powers, but peak human performance powers. So they can see things more accurately than other people and hear things more acutely and run faster, but nothing to beyond normal peak human capabilities. It's a really entertaining little series, available on DVD. Um, if you enjoy any of this kind of stuff, then I would strongly recommend that you give it a go. And it does the rounds on the repeat channels fairly regularly. What is this? Go back upstairs, Mrs. Trenick. Stay out of the way. I knew it was a mistake to keep you here. I told Douglas I have an awareness. I knew you had powers the moment I saw you. Go upstairs, Mrs. Trenick. You come stop the rights, haven't you? People are coming from all over Cornwall. You can't stop us. Nobody's coming, Mrs. Trenick. They are. I know they are. Don't you realize? I'll stop you. I'll stop you. I'll get Douglas. Ah! We've just finished The Night People, the Champions episode. I haven't seen an episode of The Champions for years. I'd forgotten just how good it is. It is fun. It, the Night People isn't one of the best episodes, but because it's the, the earliest thing on television I, I can remember, and it must be one of the... Must have been repeats in the early seventies, and there's a, a specific scene in it where one of the one of the witches gets her little doll effigy thing stomped on, and she passes out, and that's the specific bit that I can remember. That you remember? Um, it's full. I think a lot of this has got to do with years and years of watching Doctor Who. It does all loop back to Doctor Who. You spot actors. Oh, a lot of actor uh, spotting in that. Uh, Michael Bilton, Adrian Corrie. Terence Alexander. Terence Alexander, Bergerac, and, and um, what was he in? Mark of the Rani he was in. Um, Frank Thornton. Oh, yeah, Frank Thornton, who was, as you put it, channeling William Hartnell, and um, he was. I, I don't think he's ever been in Who, has he? I don't know. I, I don't can't remember so. him no. having been. No. If he is, it'll be in, buried in some 60s one that I, I don't know. Again, production value is quite high. All done on film. And you just look at that and think, if 
Doctor Who had been done on film and in colour, I think it would be viewed in a different way. Absolutely, because that was the same time period as season five, so... Enemy of the World, Web of Fear. Enemy of the World's turned up now, of course, and you can see where they were going with that. The whole setting it in Australia thing, helicopter chases, that sort of thing. Never really pulled it off, and you're never going to get that with black and white on uh, videotape. You see, I think that bit works reasonably mm, well in Enemy of the World. Yeah. The thing that doesn't work is the underground base because the yeah. sets are tiny are. Um, and really don't don't bring across the kind of image that they want and the kind of image that is in the Target book because it was Enemy of the World was an Ian Martyr one, wasn't it? Yes, it was. So it wasn't your normal Terence Dick's pamphlet. But the champions... Yes, getting back to the Getting back to the champions, I really enjoyed that. I just think it's the the dynamic between the three of them. They're all, again, they're all distinct personalities. She, what's her name? The the actress's name? Alexandra Bastida. The most immaculate looking woman I think I've ever seen. I mean, she's She's so 60s, it hurts. And she is stunningly attractive. Oh, yeah. She she does a few other things. She did a, a spy drama called Codename, I think, which unfortunately is completely missing from the archives. She did the Aphrodite Inheritance, which is great, and we should do as a, mm. um, as a story sometime. Add it to the list. The list is great. Is that going to be, that gonna be my catchphrase, add it to the list? Um, but it was, it was, and it's very clean as well, very clean and crisp. The yeah. picture quality, it's obviously been archived well, uh, done on good quality film stock, all the colours. Unless it's been restored, and I can't imagine they've done a great deal on it. Um, actually, they are doing. This is the DVD that came out oh, a good few years ago. But there is quite a lot of restoration being done on, on these because Department S, which is the ITC series that came after this, and again... Secret agents, mm. two fellas and a girl, international locations put in place by lots and lots of stock footage. That's just been re-released as a, a mastered Blu-ray box set. Mm. I think they've either done or are about to do the, the Jason King. They've done Randall Hopkirk, Deceased. So there, there's quite a lot of restoration work going on mm. on these series. Oh, good. I mean, it's nice that stuff like this is being archived. There's another one, I think, The Baron as well. Was that ATC or ATV or...? It was It was another ITC. Um, Baron, Man in a Suitcase, things like that. I, I was less keen on them. There's a, a fantastical element to the champions, to Department S, to Randall and Hopkirk, deceased, that you don't get in your sort of standard spy dramas right. like, like The Baron. But that was very good. I could watch more of those, actively yeah. watch more. I, I really enjoy The Champions, and we may revisit yeah. and, and watch other episodes further on down the line. Well, it was a very quick 50 minutes. It didn't drag at yeah. all. And there, there is a, there's a fantastic spoof of it with Morena Banks um, called The Preventers, <laughs> um, which actually has William Gaunt in it as well, right. playing the, the boss role. So that um, The Champion's boss is... Um, fellow called Tremaine, who usually has a bigger part to play than he did in, mm. in this episode. In this episode, they, they sort of find themselves in the story by accident. And it, it's while Sharon is on holiday. Normally, they're, they're sent to somewhere to investigate. So you get a, an initial sequence with Tremaine explaining yeah. what, what's going on, then back in his office again for the, the wrap-up. With this, we only really got the wrap-up. I did notice that there was a, a few scenes at the beginning tacked on with some stock footage of uh, some glamorous location to, to just up the production value a little bit. But, yeah. uh, and, and there's almost always a little establishing vignette for a minute or two where it demonstrates that they have these superpowers or um, mm. sort of peak of human performance powers. Like and being able th- to pickpocket This one appeared will. to be the ability to pickpocket, yes. 
Yeah. It was, it was the worst example of pickpocketing I've ever seen. He quite clearly reached in and stole the gun. Yeah, uh, maybe it's foiling a bank, bank robbery. And then he just stands, stands there, there and smiles <laughs> while the bank robbers are going, oh, where's my gun? Yeah. But again, of it, that scene was of its time. Mm. It wouldn't happen now, but... Uh, no, very good. I, I, that's one to revisit in the future. I'd enjoy that. Yes. So that was the, the first of our wild cards for It was. For what are we moving on to next? Space 1999. That was the one. This is the pilot, isn't it? It is. Breakaway. Breakaway. <laughs> Because it's the, the pilot, I don't need to give an awful lot of background to it, other than to say it was a live-action Jerry Anderson production and came sort of on the coattails of UFO, which would, had been a couple of years previously, and also featured a moon base. And it's based around moon base Alpha. And let's have a little look at the first episode, Breakaway. out of the Earth's orbit. That explosion has pushed us out of the Earth's orbit. Right, well, that's the pilot episode of Space 1999 done, and I have to say... Well, cause when was that made? 76, I think. Well, production-wise, that was the one thing that stood out for me from that, that it was beautifully done. They must have hurled money at that to get it to look that good on screen. The, the sets were incredible. Yeah. And enormous. It's been a while since I've seen it, and I haven't really recognised just how big those sets are that lead one into another, particularly that, that control room set, and it's on a number of um, different levels. It was just the scale of them, the quality of them, and how it's been filmed. I mean, it's been shot... I don't know whether that's been cleaned up at all, but it's in very good nick for something 40 the, years These old. are the um, newly released Blu-rays. That we're yeah, watching. it was beautiful. I mean, that was the one thing that stood out. And the model work was fantastic. It was, and it shows what good model work can look like when you spend the money on it. It's just a shame. And this is no disrespect to any of the model makers on Doctor Who. The chasmic difference. Even though a lot of the model work was done on film, just with a bit of time and money ploughed into them, they can look really quite convincing. It was lovely stuff. It looked absolutely beautiful. The reason I haven't watched Breakaway for quite a while is it's not the greatest story. Hmm. It, it just took a long... I mean, it took an hour to get to, basically, the Can premise we, of, yeah. of where it was going and, and why. Um, there was a lot of setup, and to be honest, not many characters that I come away caring about. That's dreadfully wooden acting. Yeah. I think Barbara Bain has... One facial expression. There's a lot of mouth acting going on, but the rest of the faces aren't really moving. I think the the only one was the... Uh, Barry Morse. That's the, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was quite animated, but the rest of the cast, no. Plot-wise, okay, it's there to, to introduce the setting. It's there to introduce the characters. The plot is that a, a fuel dump on the moon explodes and throws it out of the Earth's orbit and it goes hurtling off through space. And they make the decision that they're not going to try and get back to Earth at that point. They're going to um, 
Go to Planet Meta. Go to Planet Meta. And quite how they plan to steer the moon to get to where they want to go isn't really made clear or everything. I think the, the lighting may be a problem. An atmosphere could be tricky, unless they've got oxygen generators on there. But well, I mean, there isn't an awful lot of atmosphere on the moon in the first place, so they'll... But I mean, within the moon base itself, they're... Uh, yeah. As the series progresses, are we supposed to gloss over that? And just oh, yes, absolutely. And <laughs> you're also supposed to gloss over the fact that they, they mention that there are 311 people there and they kill off a few every episode. So by, by the end of season two, they could probably be holding their staff meetings in the cupboard. Um, right. How long did it run for? Two seasons. And the, the second season is very different to the first season. Insofar as? Insofar as um, an awful lot of the cast are replaced... The style of the stories is quite different. I personally don't like it as much as the first season. Is um, there a conclusion? No. No. And do they ever get to meta? I can't remember, to be honest. I, there, there are lots of inhabited planets that they get to. Um, I can't remember whether meta is one of them, to be honest. There, there are some very entertaining episodes, particularly in the, um, the first season. And we could possibly come on to a couple of those at a later date. Revisit those, yeah. Um, but there's lots and lots and lots of good stuff to, to see before then. Production-wise, do they maintain that sort of quality? Yes. That's quite... For the mid-70s, I mean, those were... If they'd, they'd have been shot in widescreen, those were almost movie-standard sets, to be quite honest. And they've seen much worse in theatrical release films. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a show I remember very fondly from my childhood because I was about... I think I was about seven and eight when it was coming out. And a lot of the stories don't really stand the the test Mm. of adult scrutiny. But as a kid, I thought it was fantastic. Well, that was an enjoyable part, I have to Mm. say. I I was more blown away by the production values than the story. And that's not a bad thing. It's not. There are better stories Mm. than Breakaway. Um, That's the one that introduces it so that, that was the one that was most sensible to go with i think looking at it through 70s eyes i would have been tempted to watch more of them i think really that's true of a lot of jerry anderson's stuff in general i remember vividly seeing the first thunderbirds episode when they were repeated in the early 90s yeah you see you know that um the jerry anderson puppet stuff better than i do well vaguely i mean i'm not uh, i don't claim intimate knowledge thunderbirds is, is still my favorite one you see i like fireball xl5 never see i've never seen it you see it was all that black and white because he started was it torture the battery boy was that the first one or am was i it, making that up was it torture the battery boy or the adventures of twizzle i couldn't tell you i'd be lying if i made um, that up they're they're the two that have that are predominantly missing i don't know if whether there's anything from the adventures of twizzle surviving and i think there's only one episode of torture the Battery Boy, which I haven't seen, and then you get on to Supercar, Supercar, and Fireball XL5, and Joe Ninety was the one that never sung to me at all. Joe Ninety in the Secret Service. Stephen Moffat once said, I think it was on the Earthshot DVD. There was a making of. They were doing a critique of Adric, uh, which was never going to end well. Mm. But they said that people just don't like boy geniuses, and Joe Ninety was just a boy genius. From what the the scant bits of it that I've seen, I just wasn't engaged by it at all. It was never one that I I liked either as a as a kid or watching it again. Whereas Stingray, I've got quite fond memories of. Mm. Um, Thunderbirds, I used to like. Never a huge fan of Captain Scarlet. No, again, um, uh, and the Secret Service is just a really odd mix of puppets and live action. Oh, I've never seen that. I've never even. Oh, and it has one. it has Stanley Unwin doing his annoying gobbledygook. You know, he does that. 
yeah, yeah. gobbledygook speak, whatever whatever he calls it, and it just makes my teeth itch. I've never particularly liked it. And then from there, he goes into live action with UFO, and I really like UFO. Mm. We'll do a couple of episodes of that. Yes, I've not seen that for a very long time. Um, Again, one I I fondly remember as a as a child, and I know that I I had a one of their toy interceptor things with a massive bomb on the, on the front, <laughs> and I which water bits donkeys years ago and would probably cost a fortune to replace yeah. now. Well, my childhood memory of Jerry Anderson was Terror Hawks, which virtually nobody seems to remember. But I don't uh, remember Terror Hawks um, particularly fondly, I have to say. But again, coming at it from different angles, you mm. would have been what mid-teens by then yeah whereas i was five or six or something and that was sunday afternoon with uh mum's freshly baked scones every week that was it was great that but getting back to space 1999 another one really um you can't ever believe that it was actually made i mean the gamble that they took there to throw all that money at that those sets for a pilot even though it was an independent production company and then hawk it around hoping that somebody would want to broadcast it. Oh, fair play to him. Hats off, um, really. But with the name of Jerry Anderson behind it, who'd, True, never, yeah. who'd never at that point, I believe, had an unsuccessful series. Mm. Uh, I, I think the one that he did after that, which is something called Into Infinity, wasn't taken up as a, mm. as a series. I remember watching that at the time and quite enjoying it, and I watched it again just a few years ago, and it's not good. Mm. And I can quite understand why it wasn't taken up as a, as a series. But Space 1999, I still really quite enjoy. Well, there was Star Corps, that was 87, that only ran for one season. That yeah, but was, that wasn't Jerry Anderson. Was that not one of it? No, it was a BBC what, production. What was uh... Was it Space Precinct? Was that? I'm sure well, that, that was... that's an American thing, and I don't know who was behind that. But am I? I'm, somehow I've got Jerry Anderson in my head linked to to that one. I could be completely wrong. You could be. As I said, you know a bit more about yeah. Jerry Anderson stuff than I I do. Apart apart from UFO and Space 1999. See, I wasn't aware until last night that Jerry Anderson did Space 1999, mm. and they they had wonderful ideas about how far we'd advance by the start of the 21st century. In the 1960s and 70s, though, it's only 25 years in the future. The, the cosmic leaps that they thought we were going to make um, in that time. I think it's just because it's an attractive number. We'll pick that. Or 2000 used to be another one. Yeah. But, you know, Space 2050, mm, probably not got the same ring to it. I think it's a show that could be redone. I mean, look at the fantastic success that the remake of Battlestar Galactica mm. and that was a really quite hokey production originally I, I thoroughly enjoyed it um, but I quite like hokey science fiction <laughs> the the remake is worlds better both in terms of production values but also in terms of plot we can put that on the list have you got that at home I do we've got a lot of British stuff to see first mm. um, and a lot of sort of more archive stuff there's some very good science fiction um, that's been released in the last few years. Um, I've just seen the third season of Humans, which is brilliant. Mm. But I wouldn't really want to talk about something that recent because, for me, a lot of the, uh, the, the ethos behind the, uh, behind the podcast is in- to introduce people to brilliant but old shows that they may not have been, ex- been exposed to before. And in terms of new science fiction, I've also got a real soft spot for The, the City in the City. I thought that was fantastic. Oh, I've heard mixed reviews about that. That's... Perhaps it's because I'd read the book beforehand and it made more, made more sense to me. But I, I thought that worked really well. 
And for anybody who's looking for for good science fiction to read, China Meville's, they're fairly hefty chunks of books and they take a little while to get into, but they are brilliant stories. Perdido Street Station is the one that people tend to go for first. It's the one that he won the load of awards for. It's a really, really good book. My personal favourite is Kraken. If you want a recommendation for a read, they're good to go with. Excellent. Right, so I think we've talked enough about Space 1999. I think we have. The next thing that we're going to watch is an episode of Dad's Army. And we've chosen that because, as it turns out, this is the week of the 50th anniversary of Dad's Army. Who do you think you are kidding, Mr. Hitler, if you think we're on the run? We've chosen Series 8, Episode 4. I can't remember what it's called called either. Come on in, your time is up. Here's a tip for lighting fire if the wood should be damp. You can simply... Make it go by pouring rifle oil all over it. <laughs> like that, you see? Now look, Pike, I don't want you to light the fire. No. You understand? No. Don't light it under any conditions. You, all I want you to do is just go through the motions, right? Yes, yes. All right. Now take out three matches and light them together. Don't light the fire. Don't light the fire. <laughs> <laughs> just going to go through the motions. Go through the motions. <laughs> yeah. There I see. Wow! <laughs> well, I'm not having that. Oh, no! Oh, what a wet, Mr. Mannering! Stupid boy. Well, as ever, uh, the episode didn't disappoint. It wasn't what we were expecting. We'd read the synopsis on the iPlayer and... And thought it was going to be the classic Philip Maddock uh, U-boat one, U-boat and it wasn't. It wasn't. It was about three men in... In a raft. In a raft that had uh, parachuted out of a, a Luftwaffe plane. The, you've seen one episode of Dad's Army, really. You've seen yeah, them I, all, and they're lovely things. I they can't are. remember ever seeing that episode before, and it was really entertaining, and it, it had all the cast doing the, yeah. the wonderful things that they do, and it, Mannering being pompous and not terribly effective, and... Wilson being loyal and a bit fey and Pike being stupid and... And Wilson doing his game show hostess routine <laughs> with a, a two-man tent. And yes, a absolutely. And they they end up messing about in the, in a, on a raft because they're trying to get these Germans who are sitting in a ra- in their own raft on a lake to come in and be captured and they can't... Then they're not prepared to cooperate and various people fall in and out of the water and it it's just classic 70s comedy tropes and it it's like a fluffy blanket of television that you could just wrap yourself up in and just be be entertained and nostalgic well it's one of those and it's no surprise that it is still repeated hmm. infinitely even now because uh, it's been on bbc2 for years they just seem to loop the repeats on a Saturday night, and it's quite understandable why. They'd show something that's 40-odd years old, and it still pulls in the viewers. Yeah. I've never seen one that I've switched off or I've been bored by. No, I mean, it's not a show <laughs> I could watch episode after episode after mm. episode. Um, it's one where every so often you go back, you dig yeah. back into it and think, yeah, this was good. This was what I grew up watching. This is what I can take me back to that time. And Are You Being Served is another one like that, um, which is, is entertaining and nostalgic. And that's the thing about nostalgia, and this is where uh, TV box sets, you buy them of programs you loved when you were little or younger, and then you realise that the memory is sometimes better than 
the actuality and you can't you don't actually love this thing as much as you thought or watch them one mm. after the other now in isolation brilliant Knight Rider is a case in point I loved Knight Rider when I was a kid I mean that was I think I loved that more than Doctor Who but I got the box set of season one a few years ago and I, I still haven't watched them all I can watch them the odd one or two in bursts and then I've had enough I'll agree with you on that about Dad's Army. It's not something I could just sit in there and watch, binge watch an entire afternoon's worth. And they did, the new film just didn't work at all. Well, we were discussing this while we were, we were watching it. Um, you nailed it down quite hard as to why, and I'm going to let you explain. Right. The new film, um, it's Toby Jones. As, Toby Jones uh, as is Mannering, Mannering yeah. Um, and Catherine Zeta-Jones as the, the big name star, I guess, takes itself a bit too seriously. And... The, the joy of the TV series is it's basically uh, an ensemble cast doing exactly what you expect them to do week in, week out, and none of it's particularly serious. And okay, there's things where they, they'll capture Germans or whatever, but it, it's all fairly low key, which is exactly what you'd, you would want that home guard to be. And they each get their opportunity to do their own little set piece acting. And the, the, the plot, such as it is, is basically there to support that. And you get you get some entertaining guest stars coming in. It was um, young Mr. Grace. In this oh, one, wasn't yes, it? As, was, a, was. as a stroppy gardener. And he, he was great. And it, was, it was lovely to see him. The new film has Mannering as a war hero, capturing German agents, and it takes itself too seriously, and to my mind, didn't work because of that. Now, you see, from watching the trailer, again, I haven't actually seen the film. It is something I would like to see. It looks like the casting is spot on. And the casting is brilliant. Um, Toby Jones and Bill Nye is... Um, is John the Measurer, yeah. Wilson. Yeah, and they, they put in superb performances. Are they homages to the original cast? Oh yes, yeah. I can't remember who play who plays the rest of them, but they're good. The performances are really good. They, where it falls falls apart is too ambitious a plot, mm. um, and it it just doesn't really work with the original. Now it might be that somebody who hasn't seen the original finds it really quite entertaining. It's a shame, really. But, I mean, the same is true. Sitcoms don't always translate well to films. In fact, I'm trying to think of one. Even in the seventies, that was really very good. Porridge. It's it's just a stretched episode, really, and it's mm. not really a, a... Much as I love Porridge, I love the series far more than the film. Are You Being Served, that was another one. That was, you know, Carry On, basically. It was a... I seem to remember them all going on holiday for some bizarre reason. Steptoe and Son got two out of it, but again, they were quite dark. I don't really remember the Steptoe and Son films. Yeah. They were, they're just stretched episodes, and that doesn't always work. If you look at um, things like, say, One Foot in the Grave for, as an example, mm. you watch any of those and you're amazed at how much they've crammed into half an hour. There's so much plot going on. I said they, it was David Renwick that wrote those, and but each half hour is full. There's not an inch spare. Whereas you stretch that out to an hour and a half or an hour and 40 minutes, all of a sudden you, you can't sustain that for that length of time. So it sounds like the film of Dad's Army is doing the same thing, really. There's that to it as well. Um, the, as I said, the biggest problem for me was that getting was the character, getting the characters to do things that they they wouldn't have done. Mm. But the series, the the series is a, an outright classic, and I've never seen a bad one. I have by a long way not seen them all, but I've seen enough. It's just something that's always been on telly. Yes, I've got the box set at home. I might have to dip into that every so often. Because there's a couple from Series 2 that are still missing. I think there's only a couple now that are uh, missing, aren't there? I'm not sure. They found one and recolorised it. I, I know there's been some recoveries. I'm pretty certain there are still some missing. 
It's not many, though. I'm fairly sure it's only one or two now. Yeah, um, I, I would have to look that up because I don't know. Um, but the audio exists. That's that's on the box there. But that was another thing. I mean, it's a bit like yes, minister. I've always done the sort of the Graham Strong thing and had audio recordings of my favourite TV shows to play in the kitchen. I used to do it on old C90 cassettes. You can take any episode of Yes Minister and play it, and you know what's going on. You, there's no visuals required, really. You can picture where you are. To take that and then remake it for radio, which is what they did with a lot of the Dad's Armies, a lot of them don't really need remaking. I've never really understood that. You could just lift the soundtrack, broadcast it on the radio, and it works. The Blackadders are the same, It's strangely. I quite like the radio version of Dad's Army, to be honest. Oh, no, I'm not, no, I'm not um, knocking it. I'm just, I can't see the enough of a difference in it to have been worthwhile making. Mm. Although what I still mean to get around to is it sticks out half a mile. Now, I've heard the pilot with either a very ill or a very drunk, and there's several different versions of why he sounded like that. Arthur Lowe, very quite ill or drunk. Somebody, I think the only reason they didn't go to a second series of that, did you say somebody, who, which one of them died at the end? Was it John LeMessurer that died of the end, at the end of that series? I'm not sure. Um, One of them, I think that's the reason it didn't go, because they felt they'd lost too many. Because it was, did it have Pike in as well? Yes, it had the whole cast, yeah, they were all in. Didn't they? I I thought they only had three or four of them. Or maybe the memory's cheating here. I I thought it was, I thought it was Arthur Lowe, John LeMessurie and Ian Lavender. Lavender. It's a a long time since I've heard it, but I, I didn't think that it was the full cast. But again, when you've got characters that good, I think the Dad's Army went on far longer than the actual war. So I think that, and it's again with the one that we've just watched, where the plot was so similar to the Philip Maddock episode, they were probably recycling ideas by the end, which happens. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose at the time that Dad's Army was being made, nobody thought that you were going to be able to get hold of the the whole series and watch them and compare them because it was it was when television was a the thing if, if you don't catch it at the time that it's shown then you have no other opportunity to, to see it it doesn't get repeated it doesn't get there isn't any form of release so you can watch it in your own time and it was before any realistically yeah. affordable video recorders but thankfully we can enjoy them so now. sort of 5 years later reuse the same plot who's going who's really going to notice yeah i'm i'm glad that, i'm genuinely glad that uh, so many survive it's um, hmm. it's been an enduring series very enjoyable. Absolutely. So we will now move on to the, the next thing that we're going to watch, which will be... I think we're going for the adventure game next. We're going for an episode of the adventure game. Which, again, I've never seen. So. Which I have very, very fond memories of uh, as a just teenager. I, I think it was still going when I was 12, 13. But I still love watching it. You will see why. <laughs> Many light years away on the far side of the galaxy, in a region often visited by time travellers, lies Ark, a small planet of little consequence. Naturally, the inhabitants of Ark get a bit fed up with trippers and tend to discourage them. Often they will even nick the essential crystal off their time machines and hide it. Which episode are we going for? I'm going to pick one at random. Okay. See you after the break. Yes, Uncle. Uncle says that if you can solve the riddles of Arg quickly, he may let you go. But you lose one point for every five minutes that you take. 
he won't tell you how many points you start with. He decides that at the end. But yeah. if you find something nice, something that he might really like as a present... Somebody gave him a drognut. He doesn't mind green or yellow drognut. And if you could sing him a tune... Yes, he likes ballads. But not songs. Anyway, you'll be all right once you get to Baggy Bottom. It's through the sitting room. Into the lying room. And down the dog run hole. Any moment now, Barbara Woodhouse is going to come in and teach me to do things. <laughs> well, we've just watched episode one of series three of the adventure game. I have never seen a one before. I don't remember that at all. Um, bonkers. I loved the adventure game when it was when it was on. This was an episode from 1983. And it featured Richard Stilgo, Sarah, Sarah Green, Green, and Anne. And some random men, member I, of the public. Oh, is that? She was a member. She wasn't a celebrity. No, she wasn't. So they, they, had, ah. they had a member of the public every week. Right. I think. And um, for those of you that don't know the adventure game, and I think you have to be of a very particular age to, um, to really remember it, because it was really, I, I suppose, a older kids teenage thing and they have a three contestants each week who have to solve a series of puzzles and riddles and the characters that set these riddles are an alien race called the Args. the Args, and they're shape-shifting dragons it all sounds a bit bonkers in 80s it is a bit bonkers in 80s it's really quite entertaining it's even more entertaining when the celebrities have no clue what to do and I think on the one that we've just seen, they were just really slow. So they they get to the second set of puzzles, which mostly just get ignored because I think they've spent so long on the first set of puzzles that there's this whole thing about bed of nails and password and everything. And the show just ends up saying, you know what, we're going to tell you the password. Richard Stilgar was incredibly annoying. I mean, she was gritting her teeth and trying to keep a smile on her face the whole way through. And he did a wonderful job of breaking the fourth wall. All pretense or illusion that it was supposed to be set somewhere else. He was doing his level best to break that. Yeah, absolutely. And the, with having a member of the, the public, they're not used to behaving around camera. So mm. she did. She, she looked very much a fish out of water. Yeah, and she didn't really do very much. And I'm, no. I'm not entirely sure how those members of the public were chosen because she was a, a very sensible looking middle aged lady that you wouldn't have thought was the, the sort of target demographic really. of the show. It but didn't really work that element of it. You see, I thought she was some uh, actress off the telly that I'd just no. forgotten about. I, I have to be honest, we picked an episode at random and picked one that I hadn't seen and it wasn't a particularly good one to be honest it still cut, the format is entertaining but mm. the episode itself wasn't particularly and they did this odd thing where they, every so often they took a break and asked random children what they th- thought somebody would like as a present and I'd never seen that on the show no. before and it was just a bit strange well the guy in the long white wig was doing his best Eric Idle game show impression it was all very bizarre, but to be honest, sort of crystal maze before its time, really. Yes, without as much running. Yeah. Um, and with much longer challenges. It's worth seeing a, a bit more of. There's one with Janet Fielding, I think, unless that's one of the episodes that doesn't exist. It's worth seeing a bit more of because mm. that wasn't the most entertaining example of it. But it was still quite fun. Well, I enjoyed it. Like, I, I'd, um, Again, it's one of those, the odd one now and then, yeah. rather than binge watching, but... Not quite entertaining, so and, and worth revisiting at some point. But it was, it's a damn sight more entertaining than a lot of the game shows that were on at the time. Oh yes, absolutely. And I, as I say, I remember really enjoying it at the time that it was first on. 
that concludes our wild cards for it today. It does. That, that brings uh, our first wild card podcast to the to the end. So uh, I hope you've enjoyed our choices, but there will be more of those to come each time we record a batch. Speak to you again soon. See you soon. The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. All featured soundtracks are the property of their respective producers, and no infringement of copyright is intended. Title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra, and the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.